to another edition of State Lines, where you get the best gambling information out there. He's John Spataro. My name is Jason Gotch. Great to have you aboard in early spring, a warm start to the month of April in spring in the upper Midwest. That is always welcome. It's not this nice normally this time of year. So many of you probably getting outside after the NCAA tournament uh, concluded back on Monday night with Baylor rolling to an early lead and then pounding Gonzaga. The unbeaten Zags go down in the championship game for the second time in recent years. So, uh, John Spataro, give us some thoughts on this tournament. A lot of people thought, hey, this was Gonzaga versus Baylor when the thing started. These were clearly the two best teams in the country, and uh, those two squads did not disappoint. They made it to the title game, but clearly uh, Baylor was the better team back on Monday. Yeah, and I have a lot of things on record here because we've talked about this tournament quite a bit, uh, you know, leading up to it on state lines. I have some thoughts that have been uh, entered into the uh, history books just because you can go back and listen to them. And uh, I was definitely wrong on Gonzaga. I thought that they were overmatched in uh, most every game that they were going to play against a top-tier talent. Uh, and they really looked great until about the Final Four, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot coming up here in a minute. But uh, certainly wrong about Baylor as well. One I. Uh, Baylor was a team that I thought just had a too weird of a season to really be trusted. You know, they went undefeated, shut down for a couple weeks, ended up coming back, uh, you know, lost a, a head scratcher of a game to Kansas late in their season that I think reset a lot of people's expectations. Come into the tournament and look just about as good as anybody. And uh, unfortunately, we got the best game of the year in the uh, semifinal instead of the final. I wasn't necessarily on the edge of my seat between uh, the Bulldogs and Baylor uh, on, on Monday night. But all in all, I think that this was just about as good of a tournament as you could have hoped for um, after a year where we missed the tournament completely. They did have one game that did not get played because of COVID. Of course, that was Oregon and VCU. Uh, but all around, just a really compelling uh, tournament from beginning to end. I mean, you go back to the first weekend with Ohio State losing to Oral Roberts, you know, wiping uh, about 50% of the brackets, mine included, off the board before before we even reached the evening hours of the first day of the tournament. Uh, and then really compelling matchups all the way through the Elite Eight, and certainly the Final Four had uh, one of the best college basketball games I think you will ever see. The final, the national championship, I, I don't think lived up to the hype. But all in all, a great season by Baylor. They just beat you by depth. I mean, they really have so many players that can contribute on that team. And, of course, Butler, the, the amazing guard uh, from Baylor, was just shooting lights out in one of the biggest performances you'll see from a single player player uh, in a national championship game. So all in all, I was so happy that the tournament was back. I enjoyed watching just about every game, and I certainly enjoyed betting it as well. I had some big winners and some big losers too, uh, but overall, I think I'm coming out positive on this year's tournament, which is hard to do, so I will take that as a win, even if it's just a couple bucks here or there. I did not lose money betting on the NCAA tournament this year, which is always a good way to end a tournament run. It's always nice when you come out at the end of a sporting event or at the end of a season and you can say in sports, you did not lose money. So my hat tip to John Spataro for uh, coming out on the plus side of the ledger when it comes to this year's NCAA tournament. And to build on what you're saying about Baylor, John, check this out for all the listeners out there who maybe don't remember early on in this tournament. Baylor won every single game in this tournament, including the Final Four. They beat Houston by 19. They beat Gonzaga by 16. They won every game in this tournament except for one by double digits. And the one that was in single digits, they handled Arkansas rather easily, 81-72 in the end. The Razorbacks, if you watch that Elite Eight game, actually 
uh, Eric Musselman's team put up a pretty good fight. They, they had some runs in them. They got close to Baylor, but every time they would get within three or four, the Bears would pull away. So Baylor not only win this championship over Gonzaga in convincing fashion back on Monday, Baylor won this tournament entirely, not just one game, in convincing fashion. They from start to finish, we're the best team in this tournament. And back to the game you mentioned, that Gonzaga versus UCLA game, we were all on the edge of our seats Saturday night. That was the late game, thankfully, because, uh, again, no disrespect to Baylor here, but their game against Houston wasn't very entertaining. So if you sat down in the evening and wanted to watch a good game, you got that with UCLA and Gonzaga. And, of course, the Zags hitting that long shot in overtime uh, to win that game at the buzzer, in fact. I was sitting there with my wife, and I'm like, well, this one's going to double overtime, and then he banks it in, and my wife's like, great shot. I'm like, not really. He banked it in at the gym. You got to call that, but it's better to be lucky than good. She disagreed with me, so I'm sure some of the listeners will too. Nonetheless, Gonzaga advanced. But I bring up that shot in that game and the depth in that game as far as how deep it went and the seesaw battle it was and how far Gonzaga had to uh, go to come back on Mick Cronin's uh, stunning UCLA Bruins who were in a play-in game this year. I think that game was part of the reason that Gonzaga really had nothing at the start and throughout that game against Baylor. You would expend all that energy late on Saturday night to just survive UCLA. And then you play a great Baylor team. Gonzaga got off to that slow start, which is not surprising when you run out of the tank uh, the ni- a couple nights before. These teams normally don't play you know, games like this, this caliber of competition. Uh, two games in three nights. So uh, I, I'm not trying to take anything away from Baylor here. Don't misunderstand. Uh, I think they, they're they a very worthy champion. But the fact that Gonzaga was run off the floor the way they were pretty much in that game, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact it wasn't competitive because the Zags just had nothing left in the tank. And like John said, Baylor's a deep team. They can run so many different guys at you. Uh, they play great defense. They can score the basketball. And Gonzaga just didn't have the ability to do that. So congratulations to Baylor, a worthy champion. But, uh, John, as we look at the odds for next year, check this out. Uh, For those of you who are thinking about betting the NCAA tournament a year in advance, I don't know why you would. So much could change, especially in the COVID era. But you look at the board right now on DraftKings and you see Gonzaga. uh, They're the favorites at 9-1. UCLA is the second choice at 10-1. Michigan is at 12-1. Purdue's at 13-1. Ohio State and Villanova uh, at 14-1. So you take a look at this and you say, Okay, Gonzaga, they haven't gotten it done in recent years in the title game. They've been there, but now they got a shot once again. And who knows, maybe for Gonzaga fans and Mark View, they'll finally get over the top next year. Yeah, it's tempting. I mean, you really had everything going for that Gonzaga team until the championship game. So if you bet on them getting you know, better, which is very likely to happen uh, in terms of a, a team like Gonzaga, they just add players every single year and they get closer and closer to a national championship. you got to like the rods to get back to a championship game and then see how they fare against another top-tier program like they did against Baylor. So that's intriguing. I, I think UCLA being near the top of this list is interesting for a few reasons. I think Mick Cronin announced that UCLA basketball is uh, ready to enter back into the prominence of college basketball. Uh, We spoke about this last week, Jason. I know you were out on vacation, but what a year for the Pac-12 it was to really kind of get back into the national conversation. For so many years, you know, UCLA was the gold standard of college basketball dating back to the 60s and 70s. And, you know, even beyond then, they've just had some great teams. But lately, they haven't, you know, made a really deep run and they haven't been taken seriously. 
seriously. But with what they did to Gonzaga, I remember hearing after that game, Mick Cronin essentially went to his uh, team. He's the head coach of UCLA and said, I want my team to think that they won that game against Gonzaga. And I really can't fault him for that because I truly do think that they did everything that they needed to do to win that game. And you lost on what you called, Jason, a lucky shot. And, and I probably have to agree with you on that. I think that that is just a, you know, a, a long shot, a Hail Mary, a tip touchdown, whatever you want to call it in football terms. But it really was a great game for them. And it really was a great game for the Pac-12 conference. Does that make them the second most likely team to win the championship next year? I don't know about that. I would be interested in UCLA if maybe they were a little deeper down this card, uh, because I do think they're going to build on the success that they had this year. As for the rest of the teams, I'm still, you know, racking my brain over what to think about the Big Ten teams, Purdue, Ohio State, Michigan. Michigan made it into the Elite Eight. You know, they had a, a little bit more success than some of these other Big, T- Big Ten teams. But after after the display that we saw this year in the tournament, um, it's going to be hard for me to get back to uh, thinking of, you know, any of these Big Ten teams without remembering that most of them got swept out of the first round or second round, uh, U of I included. Uh, that, that was certainly a surprise uh, when they went up against uh, Porter Moser and the Loyola Chicago Ramblers, uh, Porter Moser's former Loyola Chicago Ramblers. He's now the coach of Oklahoma. But still, uh, th- there's a lot on this board, like you mentioned. Uh, I'm sure you can have some fun with it if you really think that what you saw on the court this year is going to translate to next year. But overall, these are just for fun. I mean, it's really impossible to try and pick not only who's going to make the tournament next year, aside from the tops, you know, the Blue Bloods, we all we always know uh, a couple of them are going to make it. But to figure out which team's going to be playing hot at this time next year, who they're going to be matched up with in the tournament, it's all just a, a guess at this point. I would recommend if you're interested in playing this, put a small amount of money on a really far long shot and turn it into something significant. But other than that, you're really just throwing your money away. Yeah, that's certainly the case. I mean, this is if if you have this is one of those if you're really a college basketball aficionado, and we're here on state lines with John Spataro, I'm Jason Gotry. Get the best uh, gambling information that you're going to find out there. But if you're really an aficionado, I had a buddy one time when North Carolina uh, had a bunch of guys injured. I believe it was 2008. That was the year Kansas beat Memphis. Uh, Derek Rose's team uh, lost that game late. I think that one even went to overtime. Bill Self got the title there in 2008 for the Jayhawks. But but North Carolina had a lot of guys hurt that year. I believe that was the Ty Lawson year coming back. And he put money down right away on North Carolina. And they stayed healthy. And they cruised the championship that year. I, I think they beat Villanova in the Final Four. I can't remember who they beat in the title game. Maybe they beat Oklahoma and then Villanova. Regardless, the point is, he he saw value with North Carolina and jumped on it right away. And he won a lot of money. So if you're, you're a college basketball aficionado and you see some value here, uh, go jump on it. Maybe a little bit of money. But uh, you don't pick Gonzaga right now at 9-1. to it, It's just not the smart better. Like John said, UCLA 10-1. to Or, you know what? I can't believe Purdue's 13-1. to I will bet on Matt Painter in an NCAA tournament uh, to go deep into that tournament, win a tournament game deep in the tournament, uh, when he actually proves he can do it. He went out in the first round this year. It's a running joke, I think, that Matt Painter has regular seasons, but his teams do not fare that well in the tournament. He had the one year they went, I think, Sweet 16, uh, or maybe Final 8, and that was it. But other than that, his teams really struggle, though. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to put any money on Matt Painter, certainly a 13-1 to or Michigan at 12-1. to But, John, before we move on and talk a little golf and also some of the changes in the betting laws here in Illinois, 
I did want to mention the fighting Illini because uh, you touched on it there, that, that surprising loss to Loyola. And I guess if you watch Loyola all season, it wasn't all that surprising. The Ramblers play great defense. Uh, they couldn't score very well. But if you don't score against Loyola and they get you down and they hit a few shots, their defense is so suffocating, or was this past season, that it puts a lot of pressure on a team to come back and they start rushing shots. And that's what the Illini did. And they lost in the second round. I had Illinois in the championship game in my bracket. I'm, I'm not surprised uh, that maybe they didn't win the whole thing, but I am surprised that they went out in the second round, though. If you're an Illini fan right now, you're hurting because Ayo Sumu this week declared for the NBA draft. He's hiring an agent this time. He will not be back. I would expect Kofi Coburn to enter the NBA draft. Trent Frazier was a senior. Adam Miller is transferring out of school. That news breaking late last week. So the Illini's top five scorers, uh, the only guy coming back is Andre Curbelo, who averaged nine points a game. So this past year was the year for Illinois. They're not one of these teams uh, like historically Duke normally is or Kentucky or North Carolina or Kansas where they just reload. It's not going to be every year for their chance to win a title or get to the Final Four. So that was really a missed opportunity for Illini fans. This is almost like uh, insult after injury. The fact they they lost that last year, they lost that uh, in the tournament this year, and then all of a sudden now we expected Dosuma to go. Kofrin's probably going to go too. But Adam Miller was the guy they were going to build around, and now he's in the transfer portal. So uh, look for Brad Underwood maybe to play some games there in the transfer portal too, and try and get some guys in for a quick turnaround. But it's not easy to replace guys like. Sumo and Coburn. Uh, definitely not. And and you mentioned it and hit it on the head, Jason. It, that's why this year stung that the way that it did was because you had NBA players on this team. You had role players on this team. You had everything that you need to make a deep tournament run. You got the number one seed uh, and you ran into a buzzsaw with Loyola Chicago. I really do believe that. We talked about that last week, too, while you were out. Uh, just the 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 doing them dirty as a, a Illini fans uh, was the uh, tournament committee. I mean, putting them up against either Georgia Tech or Loyola Chicago, whoever won that game as a number one seed, uh, really can't be uh, forgiven if, if I'm a, a Illini fan or or if I'm Brad Underwood. I mean, that's just a tough game to play uh, as a number one seed in the second round. So I, I doubt we will ever see Loyola Chicago, uh, even with Porter Moser leaving and, and handing it off to uh, Drew Valentine, who, uh, if you haven't noticed, is the younger brother of Chicago Bulls player Denzel Valentine. That's kind of a fun fact. But a new coach... Uh, up on the north side at Loyola, but I don't think they will ever be underseated again for as long as they are competitive and making uh, NCAA tournaments. I just don't think there's any way. But yes, uh, you're absolutely right. It's going to be tough for the Illini to get a number one seed again next year unless they get a huge win on the transfer portal or uh, announce some uh, massive signing that we don't know about already uh, for a, a five-star prospect or something like that. This just uh, was the one that got away for Illini fans, and I feel very bad about that. I really do. I really did buy into the fact that they were set for a, a long run. But again, it goes back to uh, a lot of the Big Ten teams just underperforming. And you thought that it was laid out for them playing in Indiana, you know, playing in some arenas that they were familiar with uh, because of, you know, Purdue and, and uh, Assembly Hall and everywhere else in Indianapolis where they, they played the Big Ten tournament. So there was a lot going for the Big Ten. Uh, Illini, no exception to that. And unfortunately, it, it just didn't work out. I think Brad Underwood is still a great coach. 
I think he's going to have a good team next year, a uh, competitive team within the Big Ten. Uh, but number one seed in championship aspirations, I think, leave with DeSumo, Coburn, uh, and everybody else that you mentioned. One thing I do want to mention, Jason, I don't know if we have odds for this, but I'll ask you just kind of off the cuff here. Uh, until we figure out exactly who's going into the draft, we probably won't get any odds as to where they're going to be drafted. But if I gave you an over-under for uh, Ayo DeSumo being drafted, uh, let's just say uh, 14 and a half. Will he be drafted in the uh, early part of the first round or the late part of the first round in the NBA draft? What would you pick? I think I want to say that he would be drafted before 14 and a half. My guess is somewhere between 10 and 13. That's just my guess at this point. But again, uh, last year, remember, John, that he entered uh, the NBA drafted not declare an agent. And the next thing you know, he, because of the COVID situation and obviously where he thought he might go, he wasn't high enough where he would go ahead and uh, probably be a lottery pick or he would have stayed in that draft. So I could be wrong on that, but he had a really, really good year. And, and I, I, my guess is between 10 and 13. How about you? That sounds about right. I mean, I think he could get higher depending on how he shows out at the combine or something like that, or just depending on who else enters the mix. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, if there's a consensus number one overall pick this year. I, I know that a lot of people um, are looking at uh, the guard from Oklahoma State, um, Cade Cunningham. I, I know that uh, a couple players on that UCLA, or excuse me, the USC team that we saw in the Elite Eight, uh, the Mobley brothers uh, are, are up there in terms of NBA prospects. But yeah, it's all going to depend on uh, where it shakes out. I, I was just using that as kind of an arbitrary number uh, without getting too granular. But DeSubu has a shot to be a lottery pick, no doubt about it. I think he's he's got all the tools. Maybe Coburn would be a, a later, maybe even into the second round pick, depending on, uh, again, who comes out. But uh, should have two new Illini in the NBA, no doubt about it, come next year. Yeah, Kate Cunningham from Oklahoma State, you mentioned him. I think it's probably him or Jalen Suggs, who everybody knows now from Gonzaga, probably the number one pick. But you're you're probably right on that, John Cunningham. But also the combine. And um, yeah, Dosumo is an interesting product because, you know, he's so proven at the collegiate level. Coburn had his moments, and he was certainly a good player. But, you know, you got a big guy like that with potential. It'll be interesting to see if he climbs up a lot of draft boards just because of that. You can't teach size. That's something that... You know, God gives you or he doesn't. And Coburn certainly has the body to play in the NBA. So, um, again, likely he declares sooner rather than later. And I, I would think that, you know, he, he's a guy who you could keep an eye on. He might move up draft boards a lot quicker than uh, some of the experts even think. Let's take a little break here on State Lines. He's John Spataro. I'm Jason Gotcha. We come back. Story from the Center Square. Great news website uh, about Illinois and sports gambling. They're making it harder for you to get an account right now to bet on sports. John will have the details on that right after this. It's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. And if your team makes it rain, you cash $100. That's right, all it takes is for one three-pointer being hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. 
Download the DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook app and use code ILSports to get your shot to turn $1 into $100. That's code ILSports for new customers. Only at DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Illinois only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to State Lines, where we get the best gambling information out there. He is John Spataro. My name is Jason Gotch. And John, in our first segment, we recapped a lot of the NCAA tournament, looked ahead to college basketball in 2022, and also uh, broke down what was going on with the Illini for next year and also the Loyola Ramblers, who were a darling of the tournament this year, getting to the Sweet 16 again uh, before losing their game in that round to Oregon State. But now let's get into some nuts and bolts about gambling because I know you're really connected as far as what's going on for wagers in Illinois, kind of the idea of how easy or hard it is to get a gambling account, the, the takes uh, on the month in the state, how it's working for tax purposes. But uh, our friends at the Center Square, a story here by Kevin Bessler that I'm reading from April 5th, Illinois now requires in-person registration for sports rate wagering. Now, it's a little different. I know they changed the rules to make it a little easier during the pandemic to get a wagering account. And of course, I guess Illinois being Illinois, they can't make it all that easy. They got to make life tougher on you after it was easy. Uh, give us the, the details on this and how it works out. Well, yeah, let's go back to when the law was originally signed. And, you know, I do need to say, as are many problems here in the state of Illinois, this is a unique to Illinois problem. No other state in the country so far has had this type of problem, if you will. But uh, let's get all the way back so you can understand how we got to this point to begin with. So in 2019, when the law was signed by J.B. Pritzker, there, you know, the way that the law was written was that uh, in a normal uh, time, non-pandemic time, there was going to be an 18, 18 month freeze on mobile signups and the only way that you could get an account to bet legally in the state of Illinois was to go to a partner location which uh, here in Illinois could be a casino or a racetrack or uh, even a couple different places really that we haven't uh, seen utilized yet Uh, but basically they're trying to generate foot traffic for casino owners racetrack owners which I'm sure had a large if not uh, majority stake in you know getting this law written they wanted uh, they being the owners of the racetracks and the casinos, they wanted foot traffic to come to their property as people were rushing to get the app on their phone to bet from their couch while they're watching March Madness. So uh, that went into effect in 2019 when the law was signed. However, if you remember, it took a while uh, for the state to get all of their licenses issued, um, to get everything up and running. And we really just started uh, about a year ago as March Madness was ramping up uh, in 2020. Now, we all remember what happened in March of 2020. Uh, There was no March Madness and sports and pretty much everything else came to a grinding halt. So uh, as sports came back up in the summer of 2020 and as things started to come back online, Governor J.B. Pritzker realized that it probably wasn't a great idea to send people in person to casinos, uh, but still wanted you know people to be able to uh, enjoy the newly legalized industry of sports gambling. So he would write executive orders uh, that would override the law uh, where there had to be this 18-month waiting period for mobile signups and say, 
you can sign up uh, on your mobile device. Meaning, uh, if you have gotten an app in the past uh, 12 months or so, you probably did so just by going to the App Store or clicking a link on a website, downloading on your app uh, or your, your phone, downloading the app on your phone or tablet, whatever you're using, and you're immediately able to start betting just from the comfort of your own home. So Pritzker has issued those executive orders to extend these mobile signups a few times over the past year. Uh, finally, his his final uh, executive order expired this past Saturday at midnight, and Pritzker indicated that he will not be signing any more executive orders about this. So what that means is now we're back into this uh, holding period, and no one seems to know whether or not we've you know gained some years or, or months uh, towards that 18-month waiting period. That's still kind of up in the air. But basically what it means for gamblers here in Illinois is that if you did not download DraftKings or FanDuel or PointsBet or Barstool Sportsbook apps, you now have to go to their partner location to sign up. So depending on where you live, you might want to check out who's around you. For example, we're recording this from up near the Chicago area of the state. If you wanted to get a DraftKings account, you would have to drive all five and a half hours of a trip down to East St. Louis to go to the Casino Queen, which is a brick and mortar casino, stand in line at Casino Queen, get a, a verification code of some sort while you're standing in the casino, download your DraftKings app, and then you're free to bet on whatever you'd like from wherever you'd like in the state. Uh, up here near uh, Chicago, obviously Rivers Casino, which is right near O'Hare Airport, uh, would be the closest one for anybody looking to bet near the Chicago area. But it's all to say, uh, you know, again, this is a unique uh, Illinois problem as the uh, mobile gaming industry in Illinois continues to grow and grow. I mean, almost $500 million of bets were handled by the state in January, which is the latest month that we have information for. And 90% of those bets were placed online, according to this article from the centersquare.com. So it is not for lack of demand on the mobile side. Uh, you know, people are speculating, uh, insiders and political commentators around speculating that it has something to do with, like what I said, uh, the gambling operators uh, in the brick and mortar locations like casinos and racetracks had a big uh, stake in this law. You know, they, they kind of blessed it, if you will, from the private sector when it was being written. And I think they demanded that you needed to have some sort of foot traffic generating clause in this law so that they could get more people into their properties if they were going to allow legalized sport, sports gambling across the state. Interesting analysis, John, and really well-researched on your part. I know the listeners enjoy it. The thing that I don't get, of course, about the, the, the people who run this state and also the, the people who run the bricks-and-mortar gambling operations, from what I've heard, people who are going to these bricks-and-mortar places, uh, for big events, they are loaded. I mean, it, it, as much as you can be loaded in social distancing era of COVID, the fact that you can't pack them in like you would have a, a little over a year ago, but, but there are people waiting in half-hour or hour lines for you UFC fights, I know, the Rivers Casino that you mentioned near O'Hare Airport. So maybe they thought this at first, but again, you would think they could adapt the law at this point. Uh, the state would be able to say, hey, you're getting foot traffic and people are still going to your casino and a lot of people still want to bet online, especially with COVID still going on. So why don't we go ahead and extend this a little bit or maybe extend it permanently would be the smart thing to do, especially in a state where, look, everybody knows this. I don't think I'm speaking out of line when I say this. Uh, I mean, this state is always crying poor they're always running a huge deficit they claim that go ahead legalize gambling it'll help with the tax revenue well now all of a sudden people who are at home 
and don't want to go to a bricks and mortar location or, or they don't want to go out because of COVID, whether you agree with them or not, uh, they're going to be shot out of the gambling game now. So again, like a lot of things to me, Jason Gotch, this is just my opinion here. It's a podcast and it's what I think. A lot of things in this state do not make sense. And this is just another one to throw on the list. Yeah, it's, a, a, again, a unique Illinois problem. I mean, it's it's been throwing out, uh, you know, pretty much all the conventions from the other states that have already legalized sports gambling. You know, the mobile aspect of this is just so huge uh, for every state that has legalized it so far. I mean, you look at a state right next to us, Iowa, they are, you know, they did not have this provision uh, to demand, uh, you know, a moratorium on mobile signups for a certain period. It, it, it was, there was nothing like that. And uh, Indiana as well, and other states around the country have have been able to get by with, um, you know, not demanding that you go and wait in line in a brick and mortar casino. I'm sure, uh, again, it has to do with with the lobbyists and the people that were involved when this bill was created. And if you really want to uh, hammer some hypocrisy on all this, uh, the official statement from uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker's spokeswoman, uh, Jordan Abadea, uh, was essentially that the state's now in phase four. So, uh, you know, it's okay to go to casinos. We've progressed past the point where it's no longer bad to wait in line at a casino. So, of course, we, we don't need to uh, you know extend this executive order that's allows that allows you to sign up from your phone I just wish somewhere somehow maybe we could apply that same logic for maybe actually going to a baseball game or basketball game or better yet going to school if you are a school-age child but I'm getting off the rails a little bit there with some criticism however it all just comes back to uh, just be aware of the changes that are happening uh, around Illinois because um, if it's not this it's the uh, much uh, known clause now after this tournament that you can't bet on uh, collegiate sports uh, within Illinois that everyone kind of found out the hard way this year. And I think the state passed up on a lot of extra revenue and they would have held it all because you've got to think about this. Illinois fans here in Illinois would have bet a lot of money on the Illini to win it all. And that is not a bet that would have paid out, meaning the state and the operators would have kept that money and it would have turned into more tax money. Uh, But uh, unfortunately, the law was also written that you're not allowed to bet on uh, college teams that are based in Illinois. So we're learning more and more about this law. I should say the public is learning more and more about this law as we go on. Um, It's still, you know, uh, you're still able to do it if you have the app already, which you had about a year. So I think most of the hardcore gamers or the people that would really, um, you know, know that betting apps were for them have gotten them by now. But for the casual fans out there or the people who, you know, are seeing the excitement of the tournament and wanted to get into it, uh, I I can't think that, you know, it's going to make it any easier for them to make the decision if they have to go stand in a line somewhere. Yeah, I completely agree with you, John. Look, as a, you're a busy guy. I'm a busy guy. A lot of our listeners are, are busy guys, too, or busy ladies out there. And, and you know what? The idea of having a mobile ability to bet a game, you know, you maybe you're watching whatever sport it is at this point. Maybe you're watching the Masters this weekend. Maybe you're watching a hockey game or an NBA game, whatever it is. Uh, the idea that you can sit there in your living room and say, oh, that looks pretty good. Maybe I'll take the Utah Jazz against somebody and lay the points. They're having a good season. Versus, oh, I'm going to jump in the car and drive 15 miles and put 20 bucks on the Utah Jazz, yeah, probably not going to happen because you don't have two hours of your life to give up when you could simply uh, probably spend a minute clicking on your phone and making that bet and the state would get a little bit of tax revenue. But hey, uh, not surprising, Illinois behind the times when it comes to other states. Let's take a quick time out. He's John Spataro. I'm Jason Gotch. When we come back, John's got some great Masters tips for us. We'll talk about that. I think the greatest tournament on the golf calendar, that's my opinion. And I think that comes up, of course, this weekend. So we're going to talk about that right after this. 
We welcome you back to State Lines, where you get the best gambling information. He is John Spataro. I'm Jason Gotch. John, I know you're a big golf guy. Enjoy golf as well. Uh, it's Masters weekend down at Augusta. No Tiger Woods this year. The story breaking on Wednesday of this week. The Tiger was going in the 80s in a 45 zone when he crashed his car out in Southern California back in February. So he's still recovering from those injuries. Dustin Johnson is the defending champion at the Masters, of course. Uh, it was played in the fall last year because of uh, the COVID pandemic in April knocking it off the calendar. Uh, again, you like to play golf. You like to bet golf. Give the listeners some of your insight, what you're looking forward to gambling-wise here on Masters weekend. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I do like to play and I do like to bet on uh, big tournaments. The Masters, like you mentioned, is probably the biggest golf tournament of the year. I will say before I, I get started with my picks, I have to say it's a little weird this year, uh, to be honest, because usually you wait all summer and then you wait all fall and you wait all winter to see the spring and bloom in Augusta, Georgia. And we just had this in November. It may be a people are, you know, enjoy enjoying the double dip. But for some reason, I'm not into the buildup to the Masters as much as I have been in years past because I feel like we just saw Augusta and it's that once a year type feeling you know the first time you see the azaleas and the manicured fairways and those uh, you know absolutely uh, blistering white bunkers um, that they have lining that course uh, it's just an absolutely beautiful place and when you see it uh, two times in the past whatever it's been six or seven months uh, it just kind of lessens it for me a little bit but I know the second that I hear Jim Nance's voice on Saturday or, you know, I see that first shot go off uh, tomorrow morning as we record this on Wednesday uh, for the Thursday round. I'm going to be right back into it. But like I did a couple weeks ago with the players, I just want to run through a couple of my picks for this weekend so that you can get a feel for what you can bet on uh, when it comes to the Masters. Uh, and there's a couple in here that I think everyone will like the odds, uh, and, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, but I only placed one bet for a winner this weekend. A lot of people, you know, uh, have been talking about this for months because you can bet on uh, major winners very far in advance. They release those odds almost an entire year prior. So those have been out there for quite some time. People are probably holding Tiger Woods bets uh, to win this year's Masters. And like Jason mentioned, unfortunately, he will not be there. Uh, but another lesson in not jumping in too early if you're looking for a long shot future. I placed a small bet on Colin Morikawa, the PGA champion winner from last year. I uh, just like the way that he plays. I don't think he's afraid of a big moment. He's already won a tournament this year year uh, back a couple of weeks ago. So I like his form coming into this tournament. I got him at pretty uh, good odds, plus 3,150. Uh, so that's 100 bucks to win $3,150. I'll take that every day of the week. Uh, Lee Westwood is somebody that I put a bet on to finish within the top five. Downgraded him a little bit. I thought I was going to bet on him to win, but lately he seems to just be uh, right on top of the leaderboard in the late rounds. Hasn't won yet, but certainly uh, gets close to every single tournament it seems like so I think him being within the top five uh, is a decent look I got that at plus 800 uh, and this is where it kind of gets fun and these are some um, side bets that I place that I feel pretty good about uh, I bet on Bubba Watson to be the top pass champion so you get a list of all the the players that have won at Augusta and you get uh, odds based on their likelihood uh, to finish uh, on the top of that group so you're competing essentially just against all the past uh, Masters champions I like Bubba Watson uh, all 
always plays well at Augusta. It's kind of a left-hander's course if the left-handers are playing well. Uh, and he's at plus 1,200. So I like that bet a whole lot. Uh, this is probably my favorite of the weekend. And I think if you have the DraftKings app, which is what I'm betting on right now, uh, you should look into this. They have a ton of bets on players to make eagles in the first round. I'm sure they will do the second, third, and fourth rounds uh, as they progress too. But for the first round, I have a bet placed on uh, Jordan Spieth to make an eagle in the first round. So that's anywhere on the course. Um, obviously, the par fours and the par fives are the most likely places that you make eagles. Uh, but those, uh, you know, that would cash me uh, plus 500 uh, if uh, Jordan Spieth finds uh, a way to make an eagle, which if you've watched the Masters in the past, uh, you see some eagles fall, especially on the par fives uh, and some of the par fours as well. If you can make uh, a pretty good drive, you could always uh, chip one in from a, a long distance and make a two on a par four for an eagle. And now let's get into what I think people, um, you know, will really enjoy, if not just to, uh, you know, throw some money away with uh, the the chance to win it big. I have a couple parlays out there based on different groups. So basically they offer you a group of six golfers uh, and you have to pick which uh, golfer of the best uh, of that group is going to finish in the best position uh, for, you know, a, a bunch of different scenarios. So there's a bunch of different matchups. Um, some golfers are grouped by which college they went to. Some golfers are grouped by have they won a major? Have they not won a major? Things like that. But just an example of one, I have a, a $1 bet uh, placed on a pick six parlay um, that includes names like John Rahm, Colin Morikawa, Jason Day, uh, Louis Oosthuizen, uh, people you would recognize if somehow I can get them all to win against uh, the, the other golfers that are listed within their group. I have plus 775,840 odds on that. So if you do the math, I have a $1 wager placed. If by some way those guys all win against the golfers that they are grouped and listed against, I would take home $7,759 on a $1 bet. So that's what I love about golf betting. You can get crazy. You can get much higher than that. I've seen bets, you know, for $1 uh, and you have a crazy 18 golfer parlay, something like that. You could get up into the six figures, $100,000 plus uh, if everything goes right for you on a $1 bet. So again, Again, my only reason to bring up golf betting as often as I do is to just remind folks that obviously we always play responsibly here at State Lines, but you can play uh, with just a handful of dollars. A $5 bill could turn into $100,000 uh, if you put together a wild parlay and just so happens that those golfers at Augusta take care of you and make you, you know, a, a, a big champion of the weekend. Well, John, it sounds like for golf, that's your version of the lottery ticket. You get a $1 lottery ticket at the store, you know, you win five or 10 grand. And in your case, you bet some long shot golfers in a parlay and maybe it comes home for just under eight grand for you. But I got to ask you a little bit more about Jordan Spieth because of course he won last week. You mentioned uh, he's in one of your specialty bets, but a lot of debate in the golf community is Jordan Spieth back now because he's had a few rough years after really getting his career off to a great start with major victories. Uh, what do you think about Jordan Spieth in this tournament and for the rest of the year? Should golf fans be excited that one of the better young players to, to get a start in the last uh, few years who tailed off a bit might be back on his game? 
Yeah, I think that there there is a lot of reason to believe that he's going to be near the top of the leaderboard come Sunday, and the biggest, I think, is his putter. I mean, you watched him last week at the Valero Texas Open, and he was just sinking things left and right. And when you can drop bombs at Augusta, you know, when you can save pars, and when you can make eagles, and when you can, you know, close a gap on somebody because you made an 80-foot putt on one of those massive greens down there, um, you know, you're, you're going to be in contention. It's just kind of impossible not to be. So if he has the putter going, I think Jordan Spieth represents about as good a chance as anybody to win. I mentioned him a few weeks back before he won uh, as somebody to look at, and his odds have dropped significantly since he won last week. So if you got Jordan earlier on in the season before he made this little comeback that he's on, you're probably a little bit happier about your position. Otherwise, you left uh, probably a couple hundred dollars on the table if you just started to bet on him this week. So uh, yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting tournament. I think that it would be a great comeback story uh, and solidify him him back you know within the, the world's top golfers he's fallen off for quite some time after he had a really good shot to complete a uh, a grand slam in the same season uh, by winning every major on the calendar back in what was that 2013 or 14 or something like that so it, it's been an absolutely wild ride for him I'm happy to see him back uh, his buddy Justin Thomas is also a pretty popular pick this weekend after winning the players championship uh, kind of under the radar before uh, he did that so uh, his odds have jumped up significantly and then, of course, you got Dustin Johnson, who just did this in November and, and did it without really breaking a sweat. I mean, he just dominated the field and dominated that course. So the question is, does it carry over? I mean, nobody's ever played two Masters tournaments this close together before. So what are we going to see? Are, are, are guys who did well in November uh, going to charge towards the leaderboard? Or are we going to see some guys who maybe worked out a few things in November, like Bryson DeChambeau, who had a ton of promise and ton of expectation on him in November and didn't even make the cut? So it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be great. You know, it, it, what a week. This is always the week you think about uh, Jim Nance, where he gets to call the national championship game on Monday, fly out to Augusta, spend a week there, and ultimately crown a, a Masters champion on Sunday. So he's just living the dream right now is Jim, and we're excited to uh, settle into the couch starting tomorrow all the way through Sunday and watch uh, the Masters once again. And John, before we wrap up this program, I do want to ask you about Tiger Woods because whether people love Tiger Woods or don't like Tiger Woods or think he's over the hill now, uh, there's no doubt Tiger Woods is a draw. He, he is a lightning rod. He is a guy who uh, gets people to watch this tournament and cranks up the ratings as we saw a couple of years ago when he came out of nowhere to win the thing. Uh, so what do you think? Uh, do you have as much interest in this tournament this year? It sounds like you do, even though Tiger's not out there trying to win his 16th major. Or does that take a little of the luster off of it because uh, Tiger Woods is the biggest star in golf this generation. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that Tiger is not playing for uh, many reasons, but we're just glad that he's alive, and it sounds like he's doing much better. I mean, I heard a story this week of uh, Rory McIlroy flying down to actually meet with Tiger at, at his home as he continues his recovery. I mean, that's just great to hear. You know, you always want to hear that your condition is improving. Whether or not he ever gets back on a golf course remains to be seen. It sounds like a long shot at this point, uh, but we're just, you know, always glad that he's all right. But in terms of his absence, um, you know, there's a lot going on in the golf world. World right now that I think is overall positive for the sport. Uh, I think Bryson DeChambeau is ready to take the step forward to be the new face of golf, not necessarily because of, um, you know, the, the marketability across sports that Tiger had and just, you know, the, the brand maven that he became with all of his endorsements. But Bryson DeChambeau represents what I would think is the closest to like an analytics movement in golf or like a sabermetrics, if you were, if you would. Uh, he's just tinkering in the lab at all times, coming up with ways to hit 
hit the golf ball further, faster, with more spin, with less spin. Uh, allegedly, he's he's debuting a new driver that he's been working on for three years at the Masters this weekend that's supposed to be his longest, farthest, straightest, uh, every ist you can think of yet. Uh, so he's kind of poised to step into you know a big role. I go back to the Bay Hill Tournament just a couple weeks ago where everyone saw him trying to hit the driver over that lake, which was like 350 yards or something like that. That was a moment to me, even with limited fans, everyone was crowding the tee box and was just waiting to see this guy hit the ball. So he kind of seems like he's going to step into the new role of, of the must-watch golfer, whether you like him or not. I know a lot of people don't uh, based on the way that he plays, which is just bomb the ball as far as you can down towards the hole. Doesn't matter if you hit a fairway. Doesn't matter where you're at. You just want to be as close as possible. But golf, I think, is in a really good place. A lot more people picked up the hobby uh, last year during the pandemic because it was a socially distant and outdoor activity that was blessed, if you will, by the government to be able to participate in uh, while everything else was shut down. So uh, we certainly miss Tiger as golf fans, and I'm sure the people at Augusta do too. I've long thought that now Tiger's, you know, point in his career, he was just going to keep showing up at Augusta until he couldn't, you know, go any longer uh, and use that as an opportunity to um, try and catch Jack Nicholas. It was just going to be his mission to win a couple more Masters and become uh, the most major winning golfer of all time. Uh, it might not get to he might not get to do that anymore, and that's such a shame. But it certainly won't be the same. Uh, even though it's golf's in a pretty good place overall, it will not be the same without seeing Tiger at Augusta this weekend. Well, I'm going to go, John. Good insight as always. You are a golf guy. I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm not as connected to the golf betting as you are, but I'm going to go on a limb, and I'm going to pick Paul Casey to win at 50-1. to 1. He's actually had a better year uh, this year than he has had in recent years. He's played pretty well lately. So I'm going to go with a guy who some might think is a little past his prime, Paul Casey, to win it at 50-1. to 1. That'll do it for this episode of State Lines. He's John Spataro. I'm Jason Gotch. Hope you enjoyed the program and the best gambling information out there. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you real soon. show is for entertainment purposes only. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER.